0: mm <laughs> everybody, it's good to be back. I've been traveling and had a lot going on in April in general, so it's really good to be finally getting this episode out. I'm Lauren Gardner, and this is Sad Girl Jams, a podcast about music, feminism, mental health, and sort of the intersection of those three things. As a disclaimer, this one's going to start out a little more mental healthy than I've started off in the past, but I hope you stick with me. So, I recently got back from a trip to New Orleans with a good friend of mine, and caught myself by surprise because being there really got me thinking about my own future. My friend Nicole, who I went on this trip with, and I are generally two peas in a pod when it comes to music, to books, to weird true crime shit, and so on. She's someone who doesn't waste a single word when she speaks. She's super direct, but at the same time, is one of the most caring and empathetic people I've ever met. What I love most about her though, is how confidently she speaks about what she wants for herself out of life. When Nicole talks about building a career she's satisfied with, getting married and having kids someday, she talks about it as a certainty. So much so that that type of confidence is infectious. A good friend is someone who inspires you to believe in the possibilities of your own future. So the combination of being around someone like Nicole and being somewhere so vastly different from where I've been living for about the last year really came as kind of a shock to my system. A lot of the choices that have gotten me to where I am now have had a domino effect of sorts. There was never really one conscious morning where I woke up and was like, let me just make this life-altering decision to move across the country real quick or anything, but there have been a lot of little moments where I weighed pros and cons of a choice against whatever skills I've thought I've had as a person, and then taken what seemed like the next first step accordingly. This isn't because I'm careless or reckless when it comes to planning things out. In fact, as someone with anxiety, it's pretty much impossible for me to not overanalyze every single detail of every choice I make, but sometimes that very overanalyzing makes me feel so paralyzed that I downward spiral into thinking that the only choice I have is to stick in some small, comfortable routine where I can eliminate all the variables and stay as safe and content as possible. For example, there was a time in college after I had to change majors and was really struggling at first when I made up my mind that I was just going to move to the Southwest after I graduated, if I graduated, and be a diner waitress along some interstate and just live a simple, quiet life, and that would be that. I'd listened to Bell and Sebastian's album Dear Catastrophe Waitress over and over again until I normalized this fictional future for myself, convincing myself I was making some positive, safe, risk-averse choice. In reality, I was listening to my anxiety telling me that I was never going to succeed at getting over this hurdle I was facing because I wasn't seeing myself as worth investing in. Think about it like anxiety being the world's weirdest opening band. Everything's dissonant and you can't really take your eyes off of it without some intense feeling of paranoia washing over you, but then as soon as it comes up on stage, it pops back off again, disappearing and lying in wait for when you least expect it. And if anxiety is a bizarre opener, depression is the world's worst headliner when it comes to the concert of stuff that makes you feel weird about the future. Depression is one asshole up on stage with an out-of-tune guitar who plunks out the same three shitty chords every couple minutes and tells you a bunch of mean-spirited stuff about yourself. And no one wants to be an audience member at a show where they're getting heckled by whoever's up on stage. Thankfully, I guess, I've gotten pretty good at nudging my way through the emergency exits of the metaphorical concert venue of Mental Illness. There are absolutely some times that are still really brutal, but most of the time, I'm generally a pretty functional person. I have a steady job that I love. I've got the sweetest dog in the world. I take way too long to respond to literally every single text I receive, but I almost always text people back eventually. But the constant... Am I dealing with depression today, or anxiety today, or the actual fucking hellscape that is both today conversation going on in my head is exhausting. So that's sometimes what makes it way easier for me to just think, fuck it, I'm just going to be really good at the thing I'm doing right now, and I'll figure out the future if and when the future comes. Because that's the thing. Thinking about the future is a luxury when you grow up dealing with mental illness. If you don't see a point in investing in what's beyond the short term for you, or less intense than that. If your head's filled with mean things you tell yourself about how you're probably not worth investing in, eventually you're bound to start believing it. So if no one's told you lately, let me be the one to say it. You're important. You're valuable. You matter. And your future is worth investing in. We all just ought to remind each other sometimes. Now sometimes when I need a reminder to keep going, a reminder that it's all probably, hopefully, worth the ugliness life throws our way, I turn on Frank Turner. Now, obviously, I typically focus on female artists on this podcast, and Frank Turner is the first dude I've really mentioned, but stick with me here. If you're not familiar with him, Frank is a folk-punk singer-songwriter from England. For some background, he describes himself as classically liberal, and the first single from his upcoming eighth studio album, 1933, is a direct comparison between the current political climate and the year in which the Nazis rose to power. The upcoming album itself, which I personally am really looking forward to, is called Be More Kind, a nod to terminally ill poet and author Clive James. Frank was asked about the inspiration behind the album title in a January interview with NME, responding, It's not the only time that I've read someone in recent years talking about kindness as being the thing that survives of human life. It's just the most pithily put version of that. It tends to be a recurring theme that I read about in older people, and more importantly, wiser people that your compassion and decency to your fellow person is the thing that comes out in the wash. He also wrote a fantastic blog post back in 2016 after receiving messages from women who were sexually harassed during one of his shows, calling audience goers to action to be respectful of everyone's safety, comfort, and privacy, and affirming that sexual harassment is, obviously, inexcusable in any context, then pointing readers to the org's safe gigs for women and girls against. So what I'm getting at here is that he seems like a good dude, which is a relief when I think about how many times I've put songs of his on repeat to pull myself out of moments of certain peril. The first Frank Turner song I ever heard was I Knew Proofrock Before He Got Famous, the title a nod to T.S. Eliot's The Love Song of J. Alfred Proofrock," and I stumbled across it on Tumblr the week before I started college. At the time, I was simultaneously scared shitless and reeling like a runaway semi-truck with all this pressure I was putting on myself for college to be the best years of my life. Spoiler alert, those years were about the furthest thing from my best ones, but I'm really grateful that I had that song to sort of set an internal tone for myself. Like a lot of Frank's music, it builds on itself, but not in grand, sweeping gestures. It's got the effect of if you watched a sped-up time-lapse of one person building a home for themselves made of bricks laying each one carefully among the mortar, maybe making the occasional mistake, but always taking the time to do his best to self-correct when necessary. It's a celebration of his friends and what he loves most about them. And as it hits the arc, it calls to action anyone who's waiting for their life to be anything other than what it is right now, reminiscent of the original poem, where the narrator asks himself if he dare disturb the universe. Then we hit what I consider the best part of the song, where Frank acknowledges that he is not the one who is habitually optimistic, telling listeners that life is about love, lost minutes, and lost evenings, and reminding us that the only thing that's left to do is live. And yeah, obviously, part of why I love that song so much is because it reminds me of when I was 18, and anything felt possible, and I hadn't quite realized with what swift mercilessness the world is capable of reducing people to ruin. But another part of why I love it is because when I have felt reduced to something destroyed... It's a really good thing to listen to when I see that first glimmer within myself of a fire telling me to keep going. Something about putting it so simply, the only thing that's left to do is live, has always been something I can get behind. Another album of Frank's is called Positive Songs for Negative People, and another song of his I love, Losing Days, off of 2013's Tape Deck Heart, directly addresses the feeling of, now what the hell do I do? when you've gotten yourself to just positive enough of a place to want to keep going, but you're not quite sure you're equipped with an understanding of what to do next. For those of us who aren't used to speaking with confidence and certainty about our futures, Frank does a hell of a good job giving us a safe sandbox to build in. Now this idea of never giving up fascinates me, because on the seemingly opposite end of the spectrum, you have someone like Cardi B, who speaks with such pride about her humble beginnings as a stripper to color in the steeply inclining lines for her meteoric rise to fame people's obsession with Cardi B is something that's endlessly fascinating to me. Obviously, becoming the second-ever female rapper to chart at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with Bodak Yellow, following only Lauryn Hill way back in 1998, is a hell of a buzzworthy start, especially given how long Bodak Yellow stayed at the top of the charts and gave a chance for fans to dive more into her earlier er, earlier work, including her skits peppered among her tracks. What fascinates me the most, though, is that sometimes it seems almost as though the general public is more fascinated with Cardi B the person rather than Cardi B the musician. More than a few times, I've had conversations with people who've declared that they don't think she's one of the more talented rappers they listen to, which, for the record, I fully disagree with, but who concede that the historical and cultural significance she bears is heavyweight and still seem to want to stay attuned to her every move in pop culture. So what can we take away with this? The world loves someone who keeps going the world loves someone who pulls themselves up by their bootstraps, or, in this case, a black woman who pulls herself up by her stripper heels and into her Louboutins. As Cardi reminds us on what I consider one of the best opening tracks I've ever heard, I've been down nine times, but I get up ten. When Cardi raps, you can almost feel the confidence of her jutting her chin out with each word, looking back in pride and satisfaction, but also maybe just the tiniest bit of disbelief about how she changed the game not just for the music landscape, but for her own life. But while there might be a sliver of disbelief, she sure as hell doesn't let us see it. She's a fierce defender of her own future. One thing's for sure when you hear Cardi rap, she's fought tooth and nail to get where she is, and she's sure as hell not going to let that fire go out. There have been too many times in my last few years where I've hidden the fire I've had burning in me because I've been afraid of another person trying to blow it out. Or worse, because I've been afraid of blowing it out myself. But no one has the capability to extinguish it without my permission, and the same goes for you. Let yourself be a signal fire for whoever you encounter who needs it. But more importantly, let that fire be a beacon for yourself. You're stronger than the hardest thing you've survived, whatever it is, so don't you dare do your fire the injustice of letting it flicker out. Thanks for listening. I know this one's a little more abstract than the past couple episodes, so I hope you still liked it. The plan's to fluctuate a little more between music-focused stuff and more mental health-focused content, so if you feel some particular way about what you want to hear more of, let me know. You can get in touch on Instagram, at sadgirljams, and if you like what you've been hearing so far, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. The show currently has five stars right now, which is the fucking coolest, so I want to give a huge, huge thank you to everyone who's taken the time to write it so it shows up more readily in searches. That's awesome. Um, And if you want more content between episodes, please make sure to follow along with our Spotify playlist, Sad Girl Jams Soundtrack, where you can hear the songs mentioned in today's episode and a few other jams and recent releases that just kind of fit with the theme of this episode as well. Sad Girl Jams is written, edited, and produced by me, Lauren Gardner, and the music is performed by Moxie, who you can stay in touch with on Instagram at moxielovesyou, that's M-O-X-I loves you, or wherever you stream music. Thank you so much again for listening and sharing the show with your friends. And remember, stay kind and own your weird shit.